And if you want to follow the reading, it's from 1 Peter. And it may be familiar to you, because you've read it before. It may be familiar to you, because we read it last week. And we're going to read it again, because it's brilliant stuff. So Peter's writing his letter um, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the various Roman provinces. And he bursts into praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of these things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. We just pray together. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your living word. And we pray that just as we spend a little more time in this opening part of Peter's letter, that you would encourage our hearts again. Thank you for the truths that we've just read together. The amazing, fantastic news that we have read. May it sink deep within our souls. That we may be those who live in the light and the truth, the revelation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last Sunday night, Edward preached a cracking message about our identity in Jesus Christ. And uh, he did read that passage, but I just wanted to spend a little more time in the passage just thinking about this living hope uh, that Peter mentions. And um, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word hope. So I looked it up in, I've got a little Oxford dictionary that I keep right beside my um, desk. So I always look things up in there. And it said, hope, expectation, and desire. 
And then underneath it just said, hope against hope, clinging to the possibility of something. And for many people, when they think of the word hope, they would think of the sort of optimism. I woke up Saturday morning quite optimistic. I hoped that England might play well. They did not. The South Africans did. For some people, it's just a kind of cheery disposition. We hope things can only get better. Does that remind you of some election some years ago, wasn't it? Things can only get better. Mm. It can be sort of wishful thinking. <laughs> Don't apologize. It's all right, John. I hope it's not going to rain on that special day. (laughs) I think we could do a double act, actually. Siri, be quiet. I hope things will turn out all right. That is not the hope that's described in that passage. Peter writing to these early believers and writing not only to them but to us, to all believers. These particular believers were already beginning to face the storms of trouble and persecution. Peter himself knew that more persecution was coming. He speaks of a hope that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. He speaks of a hope that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. This is not a fisherman putting on a brave face in the midst of a storm that he knows his little boat can't handle. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he is facing the storms of persecution, as are the early church that he is writing to. And when he speaks about this Christian hope in this amazing letter, and this amazing opening, so tangible that it stirs him to praise and worship, This letter, the whole letter, is a letter of hope. And it's a hope that is alive and kicking. In verses 3 to 4, Peter tells us that the Christian hope is a living hope. It's based on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A contemporary Greek poet of the day had written, For the living there is hope. For the dead, there is none. Hopelessness is a desperate situation. But Peter's claim and his declaration in this passage 
is that hopelessness has been defeated, broken, shattered, overcome by Jesus. Our hope is a living hope because our hope is Jesus. He's our hope. And he's alive and kicking. The resurrection of Jesus, the physical resurrection of Jesus, was a life-changing experience for Peter. He knows it is a world-changing experience. He knows it is a cosmic-changing experience. It is a creation-changing reality. Because we know Peter. We know him from the Gospels. We walk with him. We relate to him. He's one of the disciples that we kind of think, yeah, I, I understand what he means. When Jesus died, imagine being Peter at that moment when the news came that Jesus had died and for him hope had died. Remember the two walking on the Emmaus Road and what we hoped for, we had hoped When Jesus appears to them and reveals himself to them. Peter, more than anyone, would have felt that loss, the bitter sorrow. What would he have remembered of his last days with Jesus? Denying him. I don't even know the man. That courtyard. That moment, that cock crowed and he remembered that Jesus had actually said before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. But everything changed. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter was an eyewitness, remember. Yes, he was one of the two that ran when the news came from Mary and they ran to the empty tomb and uh, John beats him there. John was fitter than Peter and John outruns him but stops and Peter gets there, he just goes into the tomb. And what do they see? They see the grave clothes still there. And the wrappings that had been around Jesus' head were still As if they'd been folded around Jesus' head. They hadn't been sort of kind of ripped off. It's as if Jesus had just come through them. John tells us in his gospel that when he saw that, he believed. And then that first appearance of Jesus to them in the upper room. When he said, look, see my hands. And he even asked them for a bit of fish. Just just to confirm to them that it was him and it was physical and it was him back from the dead. It wasn't an apparition. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't anything like that. It was Jesus back from the dead, flesh and blood. And he ate fish. And then the very next Sunday night, he comes back again to them to visit them because Thomas hadn't been there the first time time and he'd said I won't believe it unless I touch him unless I see the nail marks in his hands and the hole in his side I won't believe it and Jesus appears to him and says Thomas touch my hands touch my side 
And then Peter again meets Jesus by the Lake of Galilee. One of my favorite places in the world to stand. And Jesus takes him aside and reinstates him, restores him, forgives him, challenges him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter is commissioned. So Peter writes, encouraging the believers, though you have not seen him. Because some of us would say, well, it's all right for you, Peter. You saw him. You saw him alive. You, you were there. And Peter writes to them, says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I have not seen Jesus alive. I have not touched his hands or his side, but I believe in him with all my heart. I love him with all my heart. And within me there is an inexpressible and glorious joy. Because I'm saved by Jesus. And my hope is not is optimism or wishful thinking. And sometimes we can forget this. Even when I, I'm asked to share my testimony, there's some things that I go into and I talk about. And, but I was just... Um, Probably because we've been reading this passage a lot, I don't know, but I was asked just last week, why do you believe in Jesus? And there are so many things I could say to that. But I said, because he's true, it's true. Jesus lived on this earth, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he has the answer to death. And I can have a testimony of, well, I've encountered God in a this way or that way. But I think we need to rediscover this as, as church sometimes. Why do we believe in it? Because he's true. The gospel is the truth. Jesus conquered death. That is the most amazing statement you can say to anybody, isn't it? Jesus rose from the dead and not an apparition physically rose from the dead and he promises a physical resurrection for each one of us our faith says peter is based on the truth of the death and resurrection and the return of jesus it's a living hope and that through faith we are united with the risen Christ. Yes, our sins are forgiven and paid for on the cross. And in that mystery, we are crucified with Jesus and we are given a new life. And we are raised with him to this new life that nothing can destroy. And as we sang earlier, that wonderful song. We are who he says we are. I am who he says I am. There's a place in the Father's house for us. What a hope that we have. 
We are not going to be floating on clouds, playing harps in eternity. We are going to be living a physical, resurrected life on the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus will create. And he will be the king. And we will see him as he is. And we will be able to walk with him. And talk with Peter and talk with the Apostle Paul. There may be a queue the first few days, but we're going to have plenty of time. It is going to be the most glorious thing. We cannot begin to imagine how glorious heaven is. Things we will see. Things we will do. Place where there is no pain or suffering or death or mourning, crying, abuse, anything. All that mars this current creation will be done away with. We have a living hope. And this hope means that we are adopted into his family. We have access to our heavenly father. It means relationship. We talk about this a lot, particularly on the Alpha course, as we try and introduce people to a faith in Jesus Christ. More than a religion, not a religion, but a relationship with the living God. We know it's relationship because Jesus has invited us to be sons and daughters. Of his father. It means inheritance. I don't know if you stand to inherit. Great earthly wealth. It is nothing compared what your real inheritance is. And Peter says this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It can't spoil. It can't be um, Robbed, it's steadfast, it's certain, it's, it's guaranteed by Jesus. And it won't spoil or fade, the words he uses. What an encouragement to believers who are going through tough times. But he talks about tough times. Our hope doesn't mean we won't go through trials. We will. The normal Christian life involves persecution. Read through the New Testament. Read what Jesus said. It will involve persecution. One way or another. 250 million of our brothers and sisters around the world today are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. One in nine believers around the world. One in six in Africa, one in three in Asia, one in one in North Korea. And Peter knows that the church will suffer grief and trials, as do all the other New Testament writers. Paul does. But the encouragement that comes through them all is that these trials may be painful, but they are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. And that these trials are temporary. And in some strange way, they can actually strengthen us. I was reading just this week, there is a clampdown in China now. The, you know, 
there had been a relative sort of um, lifting of, of severe persecution, but it's coming down heavy now on the church. They are closing churches again. And the writer was writing, he's a Chinese believer, and he says, and we thank God for it. And I'm thinking, what? Because he says the churches are scattering. And hundreds of little churches are now being born. And God is raising up more and more leaders within the Chinese church. They were in danger of becoming comfortable. And Peter talks about that a little bit. He, that illustration of a goldsmith subjecting precious metals to great heat to purify it. Of our faith, greater worth than gold will be proved genuine through the fire. It's often the way, isn't it? Our faith is proven genuine through the trials. And he reassures the believers the worst that men can do is nothing compared to all that we have in Jesus Christ. Concerning this salvation, Peter explains that the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, we spent a year and a half going through the book of Isaiah, wasn't it great? What a remarkable man who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, foresaw the death of Jesus, foresaw the suffering Messiah, foresaw the coming of the Holy Spirit, foresaw the new heaven and new earth, but he knew he wouldn't see it. Or Micah, who foresaw that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, or other prophets like Ezekiel or Joel who foresaw the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, they didn't know the time of when it would come. But they were given a glimpse. But that's what we have seen and experienced. It's for you, he says. That the prophets long to know more about this living hope, which is now our daily experience. What made them testify to the truth was the Holy Spirit in them. That same Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost on every single believer. And he says, even angels long to look into these things. Even angels Marvel at the wonder what God has done for us. Even angels marvel at the honor that Jesus has bestowed upon us. And neither the prophets in the Old Testament nor the angels experienced what we have experienced in Christ. So what a message of hope we have. Not wishful thinking, but a living hope based on the truth of Jesus, risen from the dead, exalted, reigning, returning, coming soon. 
It's a hope that can transform our present and our future and our past. And it will be complete when Jesus comes again. What a brilliant passage of scripture. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the living hope. You, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would be encouraged. That wherever we are, in our circumstances or in our walk of faith, that we might know that living hope as we leave this place tonight and walk with you in the coming days. Thank you that we get that privilege of walking with the risen Lord Jesus, you walking with us every single day. Lord, help us to grow closer to you. Help us to be lost in wonder and praise at all that you've done for us. 